Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June, we're running our annual Radiothon, when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to a very special Dogs Radiothon broadcast program. And to kick off today's program, we're going to be having a chat with Claire Land and Alexander Walker all about an exhibition that's on at Melbourne Museum at the moment, Fight for Survival, Cultural Resistance, Reasonable, Rational, Responsible, the story of Northland Secondary College. Also, we'll be talking about the battle for Richmond Secondary College. Uh, Jeff will be with us a little bit later. And we'll have, of course, our great state school all the while during this very special Radiothon program. Please call up and help keep 3CR Community Radio on air. Help keep community strong. Uh, You can call and pledge a donation to 94198377 or you can text your pledge to 0488809855. That's 0488809855. And now an interview that we had with Alex Walker, who was an electrician and trades instructor at Preston East X School, which was later renamed Northland Secondary College. And he was instrumental in the whole school approach culture at the Northland Secondary College, enabling kids to flourish, particularly through the integrated performing arts curriculum. Uh, he was a one-time broadcaster with 3CR, uh, unionist and principal at Linden Hall till the late 90s and onwards. Also, we'll be talking with Claire Land, who's an academic and activist and No stranger to 3CR, one-time broadcaster with Robbie Thorpe on Fire First and is an historian on the Northland Story Project with Professor Gary Foley. Very lucky to have with us today some, not just activists for schools, but teachers as well. Welcome to the program, Claire and Alex. Thank you. Thank you. Many, many welcomes, many welcomes. Well, today we're going to go down memory lane, aren't we? Back into the 80s and 90s, some time ago, but the dogs were on 3CR then and 3CR was standing up for public education when Mr Kennett came to power in 1992. It seemed to us that he went for the very best schools that we had, the the very special schools There was one at Ardoff that was looking after the children on the streets and there was another one up the north at Northlands that had very special Aboriginal programs and then there was another school called Richmond Secondary College which was on the Yarra River 
prime real estate and Mr Kennett thought that he would close the but the locals fought, didn't they, Claire? Yes, that's right. And I wasn't part of that fight. I grew up in Canberra and didn't get involved to, in Melbourne politics till probably till meeting Gary Foley really in, in 97. I was involved in the student union, but the direction that I took following meeting him was pretty different from the way I was going. So, yeah, well, I can we talk about Gary as very well at 3CR. Gary's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, very important to 3CR. Yeah. And 3CR was very important for both Gary and the Northland Secondary College. Yeah, and he was a broadcaster at the time, as you know, um, the Cosmic Avenger on the Koori Survival Program. And, yeah, the Northlands campaign was certainly featured on his program and others. Alex is able to speak from actually living through building that culture that was at the school that you mentioned and remembers clearly when, when the school was selected for closure as well. So, yeah, can we remind our listeners a little bit about what happened back then? Yeah. Well, and you, Alex. Yeah, it, it was a, an in, a, a worse than an interesting time. I ended up uh, mixed up in, in two, of the, two of those sort of schools. I was, I was at Preston East from 1978 until uh, Jeffrey Kennett closed the joint. And late in the 90s, I ended up going down to Lionel Hall Community School, which was the school that he threw into the Richmond area so he could take over the old Richmond uh, high school site and turn it into Melbourne girls. So I ended up in both ends of those decisions that Kennett made. There, there were some horrible decisions made because originally they came up with the idea that any secondary school that had less than 350 students would be closed. Yep. And that that was had nothing to do with what the school was doing. That was just a pure money type thing that he came, well, Jeff Spring came up with, I imagine, in those days. And... We had our numbers. It was in October. You've got to have your numbers up for next year. We reckon we were going to have 385, and I was one of the people that worked on those numbers. I was on school council at the time, and their projected figures they sent out to us was 415. Yet Rafaela went along to a meeting late in October, I think October sometime it was, and she got shuffled off into a little room and we got a, a phone call from her on a Monday night about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, saying they're going to close us. And I can remember ringing up 3AW at that stage in the middle of the night and telling them, yeah, get on your room and file early. This is what's going to come out tomorrow at some stage. Oh, good on you. That, that, that was the start of our campaign in a sense. We knew what they were going to do, and so we put it straight out there to our community. And the school had been set up to look after a whole wide, wide range of communities within the Preston East area. You know, it, it was an area that was socioeconomically disadvantaged and we were one of the schools that got a lot of disadvantaged funding. And so, uh, so we looked after a wide range of kids and a wide range of backgrounds. And none of that was taken into account. Yet, according to Jeff Spring thing, we had more kids than they were going to close the school for, but that didn't stop them, and that's where the fight started from. From there, it, it, it went right across our Koori program. Bill Maxwell had, said, uh, had come in, in the, about, uh, about three months before I started there 
in late 1977, maybe, something like that, and he threw out the strap, told him no one would touch kids. Kids had to be cared for and loved for, and every kid had a special part of them that made them special, and we had to find it and look after them. And that was the whole ethos that was behind the school itself right across the board. And then he, he worked on the Curry program and he came to me and he said, I think we'd been through five educators in about two and a half years. He said, this is not working. We've got to get two educators, not one, but two. So they've got someone who can support one another because they get lost in our system. And, and we weren't, you know, we were only a school of 400, 450 but was a big school that they could get lost in. And mm. he, he started from there with the Koori program. Like I remember saying, to him, we don't, haven't got enough kids on the books to, to, to account for that for the money. So the money's my problem. Your problem is when we get them is make sure we keep them. And he got them. He worked at it and he would be around all the time and making sure that we looked after them. And in the end, we didn't have to look after them. They were really good, the two of them looked after themselves and taught us a hell of a lot. That's right. Yes. And yeah. that's um, Deirdre Bucks and Lynn Thorpe were the two that came in at that point. And, yeah, Walker's mentioned that there were some prior, Edna Brown and Lynn Crocker, I think, with their names. And you've also mentioned Bill Maxwell. He was the principal up until 91. Rafaela was mentioned she was the principal from 91 and yeah. actually is still there, um, Rafaela Galati brown And Walker was involved in you know a range of these commitments to support all kids and and one particularly that I know you're involved in Walker was the the integration project with Croxton Special School yeah and that's that's a story that really doesn't get told what happened to those kids who had been integrated and when Northland was closed you know that all went out the window yeah as I said Bill Bill saw that all the communities within our area all needed the best support so that every kid got their special chance to show their special ability. And that was the ethos across the whole school that he set up. And uh, the Croxton uh, room was just an outstanding room and the teachers who came with the, the kids were great. And we <coughs> we ran an integrated studies program around drama and, um, and music and dance and those kids were part of that program as well. So they came out of their own part and, yeah, they at some stage got to dance in the front line of the school show, you know, and they were no different. Every kid at some stage in that school show would be uh, Debbie and then Jill and then Vanda who all ran those school shows, made sure every, other, every one of those kids got a chance to be front and centre and, yeah, it was just brilliant stuff. Well, those teachers who are in the old tech schools, because of the, the children that they had been working with over the years, they had tremendous skills and ideas, didn't they? I, I think that the closure of the, uh, of the technical schools in Victoria was in many ways a tragedy because of a lot of the skills and know-how that was lost with the teachers. And, and, and part of that closing meant they, all, all the teachers there are trained through teachers' college and university and places like that, where I was an electrician. Yeah. And I had to be over 25 before it. I had to have finished an apprenticeship before I could um, go into – I was never a trained teacher. I was a trained instructor, right? So, And all the tech school people in those days came out of industry of some sort. 
They yeah. some of them had university degrees, but they'd also worked in industry as a maths person doing something or other. Business studies people had worked in business studies areas and places like that, you know. And that was that gave the place a, a bit of a different feel as far as they understood how people felt when things didn't work for them because you had to work it, you know. You're dropping a wire down a wall and it don't go. You've just got to keep working until you can get it down there and think of something and think of another way of doing it. And so that became part of our ethos. Bill would say, that kid's got to have something special. Go back and look at it. I can remember there were two girls, two particular girls over different time. We were mixed up with Rotary, their debating side, and we got into finals across the all of Victoria with our, our, little, our kids out of Preston East Tech, you know, and Rotary said, we want to send uh, one of your students to Japan. And we said, come on, back off, boys. They, these kids are Preston East kids. And they said, no, we want to look after one of them. And they, we picked out one for them and they took her, took her under their wing. They helped her learn Japanese. They did all sorts of things for her. And she went to Japan and I mean, and one thing she wanted was a goodbye party at her own place, you know, in a little housing commission house in the back of Preston East. And they all said, oh, but we can put this on. You know, this guy owns a pub. And she said, no. And I said to him, that's where she wants it. That's where it's got to happen. So you've got to turn up there. And they did. There was another girl that I was having trouble with and I went to Bill and I said, I want to put her in the teaching unit in those days. Um, different regions and different areas had uh, off-site teaching units. And he said, go away and find another thing to do with the first. And he said, think, go out, look at it, look at another way of looking after her and helping her get through what her hassles are. She's not a bad kid, is she? I said, no, she, I just need to break her, her sort of group up that she's with. And he said, well, good, go and do it another way. And that was you know, he said, she'll have something special there. You'll find it. And that's what he asked us to do. And that's what Lynn and Deed, we just naturally did with the, the the Curry kids that we had. They looked after each of them. They made them feel comfortable in the place. They they made the parents feel comfortable enough to come in the place. All right? They came in through the back door and they sat in the back room there where we had a Curry room set up, but it was their room. They felt comfortable. Different people could walk in and out. And it was going back to that thing, find what these kids feel like, find what they need, find the way to help them. And that mm. is what state education was really about. Yes, it was terrific. But uh, Mr. Kennett didn't know what he'd done when he took you on, did he? Because <laughs> you certainly had a big fight out there. Oh, look, the, the, the fight was outstanding. Um, the, the community, I mean, Gary made a speech and said, yeah, it can never get that. Uh, a copy of it and listen to it at a community meeting that probably had 500 people sitting in the hall and nearly lifted the roof off. And he didn't talk about the Koori program. He talked about this is our community. This is what everyone is entitled to. And this is what we need to be able to do. Yeah, you know, we need to stand together and fight these people and do it. And as far as um, the Koori side of it goes, you know, it's one of the f only battles that the First Nation people have won against the government. And, you know, it took a long time and it took a lot of hard work and it took a lot of, um, I mean, some of the things Deirdre and that did with the kids going through that stage 
was outstanding as just keeping them together. And uh, Robbie Thorpe was another one. Uh, yep. And they were, they were really good at really binding that group together and working and working and working at it. And, yep. you know, it was, it was hard work. Oh, but you produced some fantastic demonstrations outside the, the Parliament House, didn't you? And 3CR and uh, Gary on 3CR also was very good at getting the, the message out, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's, I, that's right. Walker, I just want to jump in to say um, <laughs> the speech Walker just mentioned, we actually have that speech. It was recorded by the media teachers and students and it ended up in Gary Foley's archive and we've um, digitised it and we've actually put it as part of our exhibition, which we've got at the moment at the Melbourne Museum. So you can see that exhilarating speech that he gave off the floor as a parent, which was the moment he was then, everyone thought, shit, these guys got to lead our campaign. So, you know, he became one of the key strategists of the campaign. He was a parent at the school with his son Bruce attending there. So tell us more about this museum, this exhibition. This yeah, so down memory lane that we can all go. It's an exhibition at Melbourne Museum in the Birrarung space, which is just outside the First Nations Gallery. It's the, it's the temporary exhibition space for community groups. And so we've curated a, some artworks by former students and teachers of, of Northland, as well yep. as trying to explain the story through a series of political placards. <laughs> through the centre of the, the show and we've got, yeah, as I said, these, these, a number of videos including the Foley speech. Um, we've got a soundscape of the original songs written for Northland. So Archie Roach was a parent at the school. He, he wrote a song for the campaign. Robbie Nelson, who was a kid at the school, he'd written a song in 91 as part of the integrated curriculum Walker was talking about and both those songs were reinterpreted for our trip down memory lane um, for our Northland project. And then um, Kutcher Edwards, on hearing the Foley speech from the archive, wrote a song last Mm. year um, called Mm. A Place to Belong. And all of these songs were in our cabaret, which we had, a political cabaret for Northland. So Mm. all of that's part of the soundscape. That's Mm. right. And and like Walker said, Deirdre and, and the kids the key aspect of what they did to save the school was to run the rebel school for two years, to keep holding classes, keep the culture and the core together. And then, you know, and if they hadn't done that, then the court case that was, that was launched by Aboriginal children to children, um, Bruce Foley and Muthama Sinopan, the court case, which they won, which however took years um, it wouldn't have been able to be successful in the end if there had been no school to restart. It had to be shown that it was feasible to restart and reinstate this particular culture that had taken so long to build. So um, as well as the rallies, Jean, and then there, there was yeah. the rebel school and, yeah. and the legal fight, a number of aspects. Well, you know, I, I have a vivid memory of the first really big rally when, when Kenneth came into power. Um, the, the streets of Melbourne were filled all the way down to uh, Elizabeth Street. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of people who were uh, very concerned about what this man was doing. It really never happened again because there was an arrangement between Halfpenny at the Trades Union and Kennett that they just didn't know how they could contain so many people. 
but it was a very quiet demonstration. And when people went away, um, there was no rubbish on the streets either, but you couldn't hardly hear. It was not well organised and you could hardly hear the speakers. But people learned from that uh, how to demonstrate. I know the dogs invested in four big drums and our drums were at the Northland uh, um, protest and I was certainly there with my drum on the day at um, Richmond when the police really went for the, uh, the baton charge at the Richmond gates uh, because Mr Mr Kennett was prepared to use the police um, in a pretty nasty way. But, uh, yeah, they were the days. I tell you, people learned to, learned to protest, that's for sure, and for our schools, for our schools. Yeah, I just want to say thank you because it means so much to so many people, not just the former students, but also to people fighting for public education today, especially to get some actual real Australian history on the curriculum, you know, to see how long and hard the fight has been and and how tenacious people still are. We're really grateful for, for the efforts that have gone before. Well, I think that the part played by 3CR was important and Gary Foley, who was at um, 3CR and the sound waves, um, the messages used to go out at half past six in the morning to different people and there were telephone trees too. Um, the organisation of people in those days was phenomenal, but it shows you how important 3CR is. But Northland was very, very important because of the Aboriginal program. It was new and it was special and, and it was successful. And the posters down the middle of that demonstrates the timeline and it's really worthwhile people going and looking at yeah. them and realising yeah. how long the government took on that school and tried tried to beat it in some, to, to submission. Yeah. It's not yeah. something that lasted for three months. It lasted over three years. That's and right. The resilience of the people in the fight the Deirdre's and the Lynn's and the kids, those mm. people, their, their resilience was outstanding. Yes, absolutely. Indeed. And it's a real a lesson, again, what you said, Walker, with, in quoting the Foley speech and the memorable parts of that speech were about the community sticking together and that unity was what would allow people to win, that sense of purpose that was shared but sticking together and there were certain times in the campaign, of course, the government's going to try to divide you or, you know, buy you off here or there or yep. threaten people and this sort of stuff. And I think, and Foley was was key to, you know, ensuring people stuck together <laughs> yep. at those key moments of threat. And um, it's very instructive for activists, I think, to, to check out the internals of that of that campaign mm. um, and, 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 of course, the other, and, and the reason that people fought so hard was, of course, because of the unique nature mm. of the schooling that was done. Are you producing a book about all of this? Because um, you know that the Richmond book is available at 3CR, um, Behind the Lines by Steve Jolly and another person. Yeah. Are you producing yes, a book? Yes, a book is on the cards. We've um, certainly... We've, we've wanted to, in the first instance, tell the story in a community way through that strengths of the strengths of the community, particularly the Aboriginal um, students and staff and teachers and parents who were just unbelievably outstanding in the performing arts, the visual arts and, and, and the dance, the Koori Youth or Shakespeare's. So 
And the, the whole school was did this performing arts-based curriculum and so it had to be performed. So that's why we did the, the cabaret um, and the exhibition, of course, and um, it is Foley's intent as a historian to put his version on the record as a history book and so that, that, that to make sure that it's, it's, it's written in the way that shows Aboriginal people's role and, and agency, which is something that, you know, when, when you've read a bit of Australian history and you particularly for him having seen how the events he was involved in as an activist then get written up by historians who get it completely wrong, yep. you know, it needs to be on the record from that point of view. So, yes, a book will, will eventuate. Well, Gary is unusual. I don't think he's ever, ever compromised in any way in, in, his, in his fight for his people. And um, 3CR has been very important in all of that, of course. But um, the reason I, I, I think it's important to have the book is that we do have the record of Richmond, which was occupied, and Kenneth was prepared to send his hoons in to trash the place. So they set up the school in the, in the park opposite. So, that, you know, there was great determination, but that didn't involve a court case in the way Northland did. Would you like to tell us more about the court case? The Equal yeah, Opportunity no, case. There was an attempt to take the Richmond case to the Equal Opportunity Board on the basis of um, gender discrimination because it was yes. going to remove school from boys in particular, um, but that didn't sort of progress. But the Northland case did progress around race discrimination and it was a case of in closing that school, <laughs> Aboriginal people would get the worst outcomes. So in a sense, it was in, what it was was indirect discrimination. And so that was a particularly strong case. The lawyer, Herman Borenstein, who was the barrister during that time, had recently won in the High Court a case around tram conductors. And when the government removed tram conductors, what the indirect result was is that people with disability were less able to, to use the trams. So this mm-hmm. was a very similar type of case mm. and on that basis the government knew it could not actually win in the final. If if this went to the High Court, they couldn't win. They knew that. They were advised that. However, they persisted in taking this all the way up to the full bench of the Supreme Court. The next step was the High Court. There was no point going there because they were going to lose. so But they did try to win through exhaustion, through litigating yeah. and litigating and, and dragging yeah. it out, dragging it out. And yeah. as, um, yeah, so that would Usual be tactics, yeah. part of part of the, the story. I, I, think, I think the outstanding thing that I've noticed out of this project called the Northland Mob is the people who have come back, they had local government education and that's all they had behind them, and they are all outstanding citizens. And if he kept the school going and never stopped it, we would have heaps and heaps more of them. They are all from all walks of life, and they have worked hard at what they do, and they are great people. And that project in the museum is Gary and Claire got it up and running, but it's the people behind it that put it together. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for your time and thanks for letting our listeners know about it. So just remind our listeners, Claire, what the name of the exhibition is and where where they can find it. Yeah, it's called Cultural Resistance, Reasonable, Rational, Responsible 
A Fight for Survival, The Northland Story. It's got a long name. It's on at the museum till the 24th of July. Well worth a look. Well, look, thank you both for your time and thanks for the fight. The uh, legacy continues. It is not for naught. No worries. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, many, many, many thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks for your support, Jean, back in the day. <laughs> it's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason for screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. Well, that was a tremendous interview, wasn't it? Uh, going down memory lane and how important 3CR was in the old days and still is when there's a battle to be fought. So we need money and the dogs need $6,000. I've come to the program today with 4000 but we're hoping that people will bring in because we need another 2000 to make our 6000 And the numbers to ring are... Nine four one nine eight three double seven. Nine four one nine eight three double seven. Yes. But without any more ado, let's get on with our press release nine four one. Jane Carroll has written again, and she's saying that perhaps religion shouldn't be in our state schools at all. And a Reverend John Dixon has responded on the ABC. And I'll pass you over now to Oliver. Thank you, Jane. This is Press Release 941, Jane Caro and Reverend John Dickens, Religion and Public Schools. The religion question surfaced in the media last week with Jane Caro arguing that God has no place in public schools in rationale, while John Dixon from the Anglican Church responding on the ABC with... What's so offensive about Australia's public school chaplaincy program? An open letter to Jane Carrow. Jane's central argument was, our public school helped us to understand we were all of equal value. That's because public schools believe that. It is this inclusivity that demands public schools be secular because prioritising any faith in an enrolment barrier. If you accept every child, you must create a community that is welcoming to every child. It is because of the core inclusivity of public schools that having chaplains in such schools, however nice and well-meaning, is an anathema. Worse, it's an insult. It represents the arrogance of those of a certain faith, in Australia's case, Christianity, who regard any value that does not directly reflect their own worldview as automatically inferior and suspect. The chaplaincy program sneers at the great central virtue of pub public education, namely that it welcomes every child as an equally important member of the school community, regardless of the kind of family they come from. John Dixon encountered Jane's article on the ABC with, I think very few of us who are broadly supportive of chaplains in public schools find your piece offensive, but I find myself wondering how your argument amounts to more than an expression of your personal distaste of religion. First, you say that the chaplaincy program is anathema and insulting, and that it expresses the sheer arrogance of a Christianity that sees alternative values as inferior. 
But is there not a certain irony here? Isn't your article contending for religions inferiority to your particular version of secularism? It is true that I regard your more doctrinaire version of secularism to be inferior to Christianity on almost every count, ethically, historically, aesthetically, practically, and so on. I'm sure you would return the compliment, but we needn't rush to call each other arrogant for doing so. We have different views. Let's just argue them with arguments. And Jane, you may have revealed your hand in the final lines of your article when you write freedom of religion and freedom from religion are among our core secular values. Freedom from religion? No, a healthy secular democracy does not exclude religion from schools or politics or wherever. It simply ensures that religious programs are never imposed, always voluntary, just like the public school chaplaincy program. Anything else seems driven by personal distaste of religion. The dog's position. Dogs agree with Dixon that a healthy secular democracy does not, in fact, cannot exclude religion as such. People have beliefs, different and differing belief systems. They also agree that religious programs should never be imposed, but always voluntary. But they would remind him that the chaplaincy programs are not voluntary. The chaplains are paid for with taxpayers' money, and paying taxes is not a voluntary activity. If paying taxes was voluntary, not a coercive activity, we would not have the billion-dollar taxation evasion industry and the Gina Reinhardts, the Packers, and other oligarchs who would not invest in tax havens. Meanwhile, taxpayers who send their children to public schools are also expected to pay a double education tax, one for the underfunded public schools their children attend, and another tax for the wealthy religious schools of every religion that can be imagined. This is called entanglement of religion with the state, and it is unacceptable in a truly secular democracy. So that's the dog's position. We aren't against religion. We're for a genuinely secular state where you don't have entanglement of religion with the state and people forced to pay taxes for another person's religion. And that's what we've been fighting for uh, for the last 30 years. But I'd like to just uh, stop here because the uh, phones have been hot and Neil has sent us $100. Peter has sent us, oh, thanks, Peter, $200. Linda's prepared to give us $100. Jeff's prepared to give us $100. And Bruce is prepared to give us $100. So that gives us $4,600. So we've got 1,400 to go. Well, thank you very much to everyone who's calling in. Yes, those numbers, again, is 94198377. Or if you'd like to text your pledge, you can text it to 0488-809-855. It all helps. It all helps, doesn't it? Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep community strong. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 0394198377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, keep Keep community community strong. strong. And 
welcome back. You'll listen to the very special episode of Radiothon Dogs. And yeah, we've just heard we've got another donation from Oliver for $100. So thank you so much, Oliver. But uh, onward and upwards, uh, Sorrel, you've got an interesting piece for us. We were just talking during the interview about the rebel, rebel school up in Northlands during that struggle in the 90s. And now uh, Sorrel's got an article on the struggle for the Richmond School. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Dale. So, yes, the Battle of Richmond Secondary College, which was written by uh, Stephen Jolly. Shortly after coming to office in Victoria in 1992, the Kennett government announced a range of cuts to public services, which included closing 55 schools. One of those schools targeted for closure was Richmond Secondary College. Teachers, parents and students at Richmond had other ideas. For almost a year, they occupied the site and ran a rebel school, frustrating the Directorate of School Education bureaucrats and their political masters, who originally planned to demolish the school and sell the land to private developers. Only the fact that people were prepared to fight stopped those plans in their tracks. While other schools were occupied in the immediate aftermath of the closures, only the occupations at Richmond and Northland survived long enough to pose any sort of threat to the Kennett government's agenda. A leader of Militant and one of the main participants in the campaign to save RSC, Jolly gave us insight into how it unfolded. We get a good feel for the debates that were a constant theme of both the occupation and the aftermath of Bloody Monday when picketers were violently attacked by the police. Jolly also gives a good feel for the continual tension faced by the occupiers and a horrifying glimpse of the police tactics leading up to and including the infamous baton charge on December the 13th, 1993. Not only did the DSE have no intention of reaching agreement with the occupiers, but it and the Kennett government were only too willing to use force to get their way. Of course, the campaign has been seen against the broader struggle to reverse the Kennett government's attacks. Jolly goes into detail about the sellouts of the union officialdom, despite the willingness of the membership to fight. The VSTA branch, for example, stood behind the Richmond campaign, while the leadership shied away from any meaningful industrial action. The lack of a real fight against Kennett by union leaderships is part of the reason the Richmond campaign became increasingly isolated. The trades hall picket lines were only too quickly abandoned once the possibility of a settlement with the government emerged. The campaign to save Richmond Secondary College remains a source of inspiration for those who do not accept the neoliberal agenda of cuts. As a description of that campaign, Jolly's book is well worth reading. And that book is available at 3CR if you want to walk into 3CR while you pay your pledge or even pay subscription. But, yeah, the book that, that Stephen wrote about the struggle for Richmond School is available at 3CR so you can pop in and grab yourself a copy. It is a good, it's a great read. And I'd just like to say thank you out there to Andy for their donation of $20. Thank you, Andy. And yes, please do keep calling in. Uh, remember that you don't have to, if you don't pledge today, uh, that's all right. You can continue, you can pledge over the next couple of weeks, but you 
don't have to pay straight away. You can pay over the next couple of months. But if you do want that uh, tax refund for this tax year, you might want to pay it before the end of the month. But uh, other than that, call 94198377 or text your pledge on 0488809855. Also like to say thank you. We've got another couple of pledges. I'd like to say thank you to Ray Sabine from Glenroy for $50. Uh, and thanks to Steve Jolly who, from Fitzroy, who's uh, donated 30 Thank you very much. John Kent from Watsonia North has donated $50. So thank you very much, John. And uh, Joseph Malignaghi from Gardenvale has thrown in $10. So thank you so much to everyone. It's very, very much appreciated. All right, we'll have a quick break now. 3CR, keep community strong. Did you know that you can pledge your support to 3CR Radiothon now and pay up later? Call the station during business hours on 94198377 and tell us what you'd like to donate and then pay your donation later. 3CR Radiothon 2022. Keep community strong. And now we'll go over to Jeff. Jeff, what have you got for us this week? So I'm just going to go back to a story we, we, we touched on a couple of weeks ago. It was from The Age. Um, it was about a Muralbark grammar school which had been claiming to be a Montessori school and underneath it it, it has adopted uh, an unformally recognised curriculum devised by Scientology aficionado L. Ron Hubbard, the science, science fiction writer who saw a wonderful opportunity to make money starting the School of Scientology. So go on to this new article, this is an update from The Age uh, of City Morning Herald and The Age. And it's by Ben Schneiders and Simone Fox Coob. And it's called Parents Says She Was Deceived by Scientology-Linked Grammar School. This is from uh, June 12th. When Kate was unable to send her young son to Muralbark Grammar's Montessori early education program earlier this year, she was elated. Kate, by the way, is a made-up name uh, to protect her identity. A Montessori program had been recommended for her child. The Muralbark Grammar was the only Montessori kindergarten immediately available within, without a lengthy wait. Kate was quickly offered a tour of the school and a place for her son. It looked fine. There were literally three children in the kindergarten part when we had the tour, but I was told it's just because it was after the school holidays, she said. I wasn't going to question it because I was desperate to find somewhere for him. It sounded reputable, Muralbark Grammar, a grammar school, so I felt like I didn't have to read the fine print. Kate soon discovered some odd traits of the school. At pick-up time, the children all left at once. And a staff member told Kate they were catching a bus to Ascot Vale, an hour away, with no explanation. She was simply told that this is where they live. The children, it turns out, were being transported to the headquarters of the Church of Scientology, a trip they make every day. A recent investigation by The Age uh, between Moorbark, uh, uh, uncovered undisclosed links between Moorbark Grammar and Scientology, a religion described by critics as an abusive cult. Since questions from The Age were sent to the Moorbark Grammar, the school has overhauled its website and confirmed its links with the teaching methods of Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard in a section titled Frequently Asked Questions. Earlier this year, Moorabark Grammar opened a small new school on the site, once occupied by Yarralinda, a loss-making primary school. Yarralinda disclosed its use of Hubbard's applied scholastics curriculum and had 27 students in 2021, with most of its income coming from federal and state funding or $17,000, $334 a student. 
The new Muralbark Grammar has prominently advertised links to a Montessori early education program taught on site, which prompted concerns the school was using that as a cover to hide its Scientology links to prospective parents. That was Kate's experience. There were no apparent mentions of links to Scientology by staff, although she said she would not have recognised any mention of Hubbard, a science fiction writer who founded the religion in the 1950s, or applied scholastics. The school insists all parents are told of the school background, background and teaching methods. In an email to Kate, a staff member said Muralbark Grammar was independent and non-religious and followed the Australian curriculum. The email, along with other documents sent to Kate, made no mention of Hubbard or applied scholastics. Montessori Australia, meanwhile, said it had no oversight or responsibility for its schools that, that say, teach its curriculum, as they were independently run. It lists Muralbark Grammar and other school uh, and another school linked to Scientology, Sydney's The Athena School, on its website. Montessori Australia provides a listing service of Montessori programs on the website and encourages prospective parents to contact them directly, the spokeswoman said. A Victorian Registration and Qualifications Authority, VRQA, spokesman did not directly answer questions about Muralbark Grammar's links to Scientology and whether it should receive public funding. Muralbark Grammar is a non-government school, not operated by the Department of Education and Trading, Training, a spokesman said. All Victorian schools registered must meet five minimum standards, including good governance, effective curriculum, and a safe environment for children, the spokesperson said. Beyond the standard curriculum, non-government schools are permitted to teach subjects, including religious subjects, of their choosing. Prominent former Scientologists said the use of Montessori techniques by two Australian schools was highly unusual. I don't understand this Montessori connection at all. That in the world of Scientology is what they call squirrel. And any system other than Hubbard's is not acceptable, said Mike Rinder, Mike Rinder, an Australian who rose to become one of Scientology's most senior international executives and an official spokesman. They must be very desperate to try and distance themselves from any affiliation with Scientology because the stench of Scientology abuses, uh, abuses is just too great these days. Applied Scholastics uses a teaching method called study technology, which was developed by Hubbard. It says it aims to teach students how to learn and apply what they've learned to everyday life rather than rote learning and memorizing con content or concepts. One of the techniques they use is to encourage students to look up definitions of words they don't understand in the dictionary. Montessori is a style of teaching that has an emphasis on children learning at their own pace and developing natural interests and independence. A consumer affairs spokesman, spokeswoman said that they did not comment on individual cases or businesses, but warned that under Australian consumer law, a business must not engage in misleading or deceptive conduct and must not make false or misleading representations. Consumer Affairs Victoria takes breaches of Australian consumer law seriously and will investigate allegations of wrongdoing and take action where necessary, she said. Australian Education Union Victorian branch president Meredith Peace said the union was deeply concerned about the amount of public funding the school received and said all students should receive evidence-based teaching and learning programs and called for greater funding of public schools. Muralbark Grammar Principal Gabriella Augusta, 29, was born into a family of prominent Scientologists, the Caligiris. She claimed the links to Hubbard had not been previously disclosed as it was a new school and the website was under construction. Augusta has been provis a provisionally registered teacher with the Victorian Institute of Teaching since November last year. 
Provisionally registered teachers include graduate and early career teachers, as well as those who are returning after five or more years to the profession. Kate's experience with Moorabark Grammar was short-lived. She was told that the school was about to expand into childcare and to cater for 130 children, and they were not able to keep the Montessori kindergarten open while they were renovating. I hope Montessori starts listening to it because I'm shocked. They have a well-known and highly respected brand. I thought this was going to benefit my son and, and our family. Instead, she was disappointed about the misinformation and lack of transparency about the school. So that is indeed yet another story uh, we're following um, uh, as to the duplicitous nature of some of these private schools, especially religious private schools, that um, pretend to be one thing while actually delivering a completely foreign curricula, uh, in this case, one that's not recognised uh, by the state and should not therefore receive public funding. And it's that public funding that we really object to. I mean, you can, you can send your children to Hogwarts if you want to, but don't use public money to do so. Public money is for public students and, and public education. And that is what lifted us all out of the the quagmire predating the 19th century in England. That's when suddenly the working classes could become educated and, and lifted. It was a tide that raised all boats. Uh, if you think education is expensive, try ignor ignorance, as the old saying goes. Um, now, we would like to, again, encourage you to uh, dig in, ring up 3CR and pledge your votes to the dogs, the defenders of government schools. We are absolutely one of the very few voices still out there trying to keep the boat afloat of public education and stop it sinking in the quagmire of the jungle of education for profit. Uh, we, we want you to trust your public education system as they do in all the most successful education countries like Finland and Scandinavia in general. Education is the enemy of chaos and it is the creation of order from madness and the madness of war and the madness of jealousy and racism and all those sorts of things in America. For example, 10% uh, of children who go to private schools are non-white, whereas it's more than 52% non-white in public education. Public education is the enemy of racism. It's the enemy of, of fear of the other. And it's the, the champion of bringing cultures together come back for our Great State School of the Week. Every week on the Dogs Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the Week. State school. School of the school. Week. Great State Schools. State, state schools. schools School of the Week. School. school for the Week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> And this week's Great State School of the Week is Melbourne's Girl Co Girls College. Melbourne Girls College was established in 1994 on the banks of the Yarra River in Richmond, Victoria, and is a leader in innovative girls' education. The college has a future thinking ethos, which incorporates positive psychology as part of our wellbeing program. Science, technology, engineering, the arts, mathematics, and girls' leadership are embedded in the learning and teaching. This complex work is facilitated through a school-wide coaching model and the curiosity and powerful learning framework and high-impact teaching strategies. 
Melbourne, uh, this is a message from the principal. Melbourne Girls College is a supportive and highly successful learning community. As a centre of excellence for all girls' education, our students are surrounded by high-achieving, outstanding female role models who challenge stereotyping and firmly believe in the leadership capacity of young people. As the principal of Melbourne Girls College, I have an unwavering dedication to provide every opportunity for our students to experience their excellence in their chosen fields. I am motivated and excited to witness our students' academic and personal growth, which is evident daily when students are confident and connected at school and in their local and wider communities. Melbourne Girls College is a leader in innovative educational practice, firmly grounded in our values of excellence, teamwork and diversity. A team of educators are committed, caring and high performing professionals who make a positive difference to every student every day. They stretch and challenge their students, encouraging them to take healthy risks in their learning and to be creative and solution focused in their thinking. Our students are encouraged and expected to work respectfully and collaboratively with their teachers and each other and to show the courage to pursue leadership opportunities and their dreams. Inclusive in their actions and enthused by diversity, our students are courageous upstanders and rightfully optimistic as they have discovered that there are unlimited possibilities for their futures. Melbourne Girls College has a proud and esteemed history and an exciting present and future. And I can confidently say in any forum that Melbourne's Girls College students have learned to lead and achieve. Well done, Melbourne Girls College. I'll move on to some facts and figures now. So the enrolment is 1,441 girls, an ICSIA value above average at 1,129, but representative of the wealthier groups in the Australian community. Upper 25% parental income is at 56%. Second level parental income is at 28%. The third tier parental income below 50%, which is the lower middle class is at 24%. And the lowest 25% is only 5%. So really a school which representative of the wealthier sections of the Australian community, but with 28% speaking a language other than English and 0% Indigenous students. Our recurrent grants that the school receives, the Australian government, 3.5 million, from the Victorian government, 14.2 million, fees and parental contrib contributions, 2.4 million, and other private contributions are at 430,000. Per pupil, that equals out to 13,791 per, pu per, pu per pupil. The capital 3.2 million over three years and their NAPLAN score is fine. And if you go to their website, you will see girls rowing up the Yarra River and beautiful ballet dancers in their stadium. Back <laughs> to you, Dale. Thanks. Uh, so congratulations, uh, Richmond Girls. You're a great state school of the week. Uh, yes, so thank you for uh, joining us on this very special Radiothon program. Please remember you can continue to donate and to pledge uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, just call 94198377 or text your pledge to 0488 or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate for a whole other list of options on how to donate and contribute to keep uh, independent radio on air, to keep our community strong and to keep the 3CR community strong. As you've heard during the program, how important it is for uh, the community to unify. We can actually get things done for the good of all, not just the few, if we actively unify. So thanks so much uh, for listening to the dogs and find out more about us at 
our website at www.adogs.info www.adogs.info oh and thank you to Sorrel who's just donated $50 to the cause so thank you very much for everyone uh, stay strong and until next week it's bye for now I dreamed I saw Joey night, alive as you and me, says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead, I never died, says he, I never died, says he, in Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find Ten years dead, I never died. Too.